Our speakers today, or the interview today, is with Matt and Beth Redman. Matt and Beth Redman, 16 albums, eight books, three church plants, 10,000 reasons, five children, two Grammy Awards, 21 years of marriage, Health Found, Soul Survivor, co-created Blessed Be Your Name, You Never Let Go, and most of all, wonderful, wonderful friends to us. Matt and Beth Redman, welcome. Thank you so much for coming. You're going to be with us all week, and we're so grateful to you. Uh, absolutely amazing. The worship this morning, 9.30, and this service has been phenomenal, and we are really, really grateful to you for coming. Uh, it, when people look at you guys, you look like everything, you're, you're, you look so amazing. You look as if everything's fine, everything's cool. It looks like you were, you've never had any problems in your life. But just talk a little bit about growing up and the issues you had there. Yeah, um, we both come from quite broken childhoods. For me, my dad died when I was seven years old. He actually, um, I found out a few years later, he'd actually taken his own life. So that was a whole other chapter, figuring out, okay, was there anything to do with me? Is there anything I could have done to prevent that? You know, all those kind of questions that you, that you have. And um, then I, I ended up getting abused in my teenage years, and the person who did that went to jail for a couple of years. And it was a super turbulent time, but by the time that happened, I'd already got to know Jesus and already given my life to him. Ten years old, QPR football stadium, Louis Palau, who's a hero of mine, um, he shared the gospel in a way I'd never heard it, and he talked a lot about the Father heart of God too, which is really powerful to me in that moment, and I gave my life to Christ. And I love God's kindness and goodness in that I, I get to w to work a lot with Luis Palau these days and he's at 84 years old he's actually in Madrid right now sharing the gospel he has you can pray for him he has stage four lung cancer um, and but he's just on, on I, I went to see him recently and he's his you, you can tell his body's taken a hit from the cancer and from the chemo but his spirit was more alive than ever and I just love that and um, get to lead worship alongside him. I love that God knew that 10-year-old kid in the stadium. Okay, you're going to be standing in Times Square 30 years from now leading worship and um, welcoming him to the crowd. So that was a cool moment. But anyway, yeah, rocky childhood. Um, but I had something to stand on from early on. I'm so grateful that God allowed me to see who he was before I went into that moment. And Beth, you also had quite a rocky childhood. Yeah, rocky childhood, but big God, amazing God. And uh, our parents, between them, have married six times. And in, in the home that I was brought up in, there was a lot of domestic violence and quite serious mental illness. My brother had and still has drug-induced psychosis, and there was some quite serious mental illness um, also in my family. And so there's just a whole lot of chaos and... Um, your identity, you have a low self-esteem, and 
I couldn't really ever see a future for myself. I couldn't see how I could break out of this cycle. And I used to try this method called calculated sanity, where I'd be like, I shall be normal, I shall be normal. But it didn't actually work. Um, and the, the grace of God is that wherever there is a desert, God will always provide a river. And for me, that was the church, that was the family of God. And so I would get taken along to church every week. And I did not find it hard to believe that there was a creator. And I began to start to believe that not only did he die, did Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but he loved me and he knew me and he could redeem and restore me. And so little by little, I began to receive healing and to overcome those obstacles. And actually, what is the amazing thing is then you think, well, that's not just for me. I want to partner up with someone who actually, you know, knows how to overcome and help other people overcome and tell them about Jesus. So really, you know, the template wasn't amazing, but the God is so big and so kind. So we've definitely, we are still, we're overcomers and we're still overcoming. So yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And now you guys, 21 years of marriage, five great children, one of them here today, all like doing really well, all very confident, amazing. How do you do that after coming from, having had that, those models at home? How do you then change that pattern and, and do something totally different? Well, it's the grace of God and a lot of hard work, right? <laughs> and it's the help of the Holy Spirit. If I was going to do this on my own or just me and him, we're doomed, like to be quite honest. But actually, we, God has put healthy people around us. You know, I grew up in a church where there wasn't perfect families, but there were healthy, functioning families. And so you're like, okay, it doesn't have to be like that. I don't have to say, I'll never get married. I'll never be able to be a good parent. I'll never get past that. You're like, no, I, I can. And I love how in the Bible it says, you know, we go from glory to glory and strength to strength. So I think you get better at anything, don't you? If you practice it and you set your heart on it and you have good examples around you. So I think the greatest gift to us as, as a married couple and as parents and to our children is being rooted in the local church and having phenomenal leaders and mentors and families around us. We are like, yeah, I like that. That's good. I'm going to try that. And um, it's a Christ-centered home, isn't it? And it's definitely a challenge because, you know, you, all the time, you want to be an example to these five kids that you mentioned. You're going to be leading them. And, but at the same time, you, I think the older you get, sometimes you realize, oh, I've, I've still got some things I have to sort out for myself. And um, when I was 25 years old, I think I, I thought I was a really sorted, holy person, you know. And then I don't know if it's the same with you, but, but the, the older I got, I was like, oh, I've actually got issues. And, and so... That we've actually been in a bit of a season of this because I, I, from all the stuff I mentioned in my past, I didn't really have proper counselling, and um, I think because of being in worship so much, my heart didn't ever get like really cold and hard. But I definitely um, realised that I'd shut down my emotions to some degree, and just to be honest, and the counsellor explained to me, you can't. You can't um, compartmentalize with emotions. You can't be like shut down towards your dad dying when you were seven, but then really alive and free towards your 18-year-old daughter. You can't do that. If you shut down, you shut down across the board. And so I've been going to some counseling, been on a couple of retreats, and just realizing um, we never really, we're still always on the journey. And if I want to be a better father and a better husband um, and a better worshiper of Jesus, then then... I don't have to think just because I'm 45, like, 
I, I can't do that stuff anymore. And to be honest, being on a stage and being in front of people, the temptation can be not to, right? You think like, oh, well, I probably should have it all together by now and people see me as this. And you can, you can almost give yourself a, a pass, you know, I, I'm, it's too late for me to do any of that. I'm a leader. But actually, it's more important. I think it's more important if you're a leader because you hurt people hurt people, right? And we will... Um we want to give generous grace to our parents because you know what? They did the best job that they knew how to do. You know, if someone is emotionally bankrupt, they can't give you what they haven't had. So what we are going to do is actually look to God to meet those needs. You know, the Bible says, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory. Now, he doesn't supply my wants, which is a problem because I have a lot of those, but he supplies my needs. And there is not a time in my life where I haven't gone through excruciating pain, okay? I really have. I really have gone through excruciating pain where I have not looked to God and he has brought an enormous breakthrough or made a way where there wasn't a way. He will and he does. And so we don't have to glorify the issues or be like, oh my gosh, you feel sorry for us. Like, look what we've done, when we, where we came from. No, we say, look what God can do when you don't get what you need or maybe you deserve, but look where he can root you and plant you and look around at the people around you because, you know, they might not be the father you never had, but they can be a, a reflection of God's heart for you. So, you know, we will overcome. Amen? Amen. Amen. And Matt, at uh, the leadership conference, you led worship there, which is phenomenal at the, uh, at the Albert Hall. Uh, but also at your, the seminar that you did, which I, I wasn't at all the seminars, but I've listened to all the seminars now. And I, I, I was really struck by your, the title, not only the content, which was amazing, but the title of your seminar, Holy, Holy, Holy in a Me, Me, Me Generation, uh, which is a brilliant title. Uh, but just talk a little bit about that. Um, firstly, I stole the title from Beth, so I can't take credit for that. And, yeah, I think worship is essentially a, cult, a counter-cultural event because everything in our culture tells you put yourself at the middle, make things revolve around you, try and fulfill your own needs, you know, and, and wants. And, and actually, worship does something very different. It, it says put God in the center, and then all the other stuff's going to make sense. This is how it was designed to be. Everything revolving around him. You see, in, in, in every time you see a picture of the open heaven in scripture, you, you get this sense of the throne of God and, and that everything is revolving around that. The angels are encircling the throne. He's in the center. Everything faced in one direction towards him. And so that's really, when you start to say, I'm going to worship God, that's really a countercultural thing. And the we have two problems, I think. I think we have a, um, a seduction problem, and I think we have a revelation problem. The seduction problem is we live in a world where things are going to seduce you away from putting God first and doing it the way it was meant to be done. And, and then the revelation problem is probably more on us, that we, we need to dive into the depths and the, and the heights and depths of who he is. We have to encounter God in all his gloriousness, and he, he's a God of self-revelation. You can't ignore the self-revelation of God. He, you can't make up stuff about him or imagine him how you'd like to be because he's made it clearer than clear through Scripture who he is, what he likes, how he likes to be worshipped, how he wants you to live. And so, so firstly, the, the seduction side of things. I mean, we've got entitlement culture, right? Wherever it, I deserve this, I'm going to get... We've got social media culture where... We never lived in an age where it's so easy to self-celebrate, self-congratulate, show off, right? 
And, and then, I mean, it's immense. The temptation's immense, isn't it, with the social media? Reality TV culture. You know, did you know 200,000 people applied for the, for the last series of The X Factor? That's quite a lot of people, isn't it? Um, I mean, a lot of them might be because they like singing, but a, a good proportion would be, I want to be famous. And by the way, 200,000 people, I think that's like one in every 300 people in the UK. So it's at least two of you in here today. So, <laughs> but here's the thing. In the, in the, in the, um, in a world where it's like that, we've got to, we've got to really fight hard against that. And um, I always talk about applying the kingdom filter. So you, to, to all these things, you're on social media, apply the kingdom filter. What does this look like through the lens of the kingdom of God? How do I use this if I'm living with the instructions of the kingdom of God? And that changes everything, I think. And you've done that, Beth, haven't you? Uh, just talk a little bit about more about social media and how you've done that in, for yourself and for your family. Yeah, um, well, I think that, you know, my, my desire is to want to be faithful, not famous. And I think I was so weird with my social media. I would look at some of my pictures and I'd be like, what was your motive? Like, that was to make you look amazing. Or I'd be, you know, our kids would be doing something extraordinary and I would take a photo of it. And it's like, but why? Because God saw that. So, you know, the Bible was very clear, don't do your good works before men to be seen by them. But basically, it was just a whole lot of show and tell. And so, you know, for me, I felt like I just need to actually do a whole lot more of good works in secret. Duh, that's the basic. But also, I want to raise my kids accordingly. And sometimes, we will be at an amazing event. And I'm like, I could get so many followers if I had a picture of myself doing this thing. But it's like, that's not what it's about. It's about faithfulness over fame. And it's about actually doing your good works in secret because God sees he says go behind the door and close it your father sees what's done in secret and so actually it's been minimizing the show and tell and saying oh actually it hurts a lot more when you do it in secret because your motive is exposed (laughs) and it's actually do it for Jesus do it for people do it because it's the right thing to do and it's obedient not because it makes you look good and we don't need to get weird and just delete everything but I I did get rid of my iPhone and I just have a flip phone and I felt like I was way more connected to people who are far away from me than I was with people right in front of me and so for me in my life I thought just because this is available doesn't mean I should have it actually I want to be counterculture if that's what God is asking me to do and I have found that I showed up a lot more in the opportunities that were available right in front of my face Um, and so yeah I don't know if that helps anybody but I just think that you know when we show a picture of us doing something having this moment you know you were there you saw it you knew it happened why does everyone else need to know I just think you know we just maybe need to check our motives I needed to check my motive and another thing would be one classic one is the retweet when you retweet something someone's said about you that makes you look good, right? And, then, and you even see pastors and leaders doing it. You're like, what are you doing? What? You wouldn't do that in normal life. Like, Nikki wouldn't say to me, Matt, you won't believe what the archbishop said about me today. <laughs> you, know, and you, you, just, you just wouldn't do it, but we do it. We're happy to do retweeting. And, and it says in the Proverbs, you know, let, don't let, let other people's mouths say good stuff about you, not your own. So you run that through the kingdom filter, and you think, that's actually not biblical. That's not helpful. And let's maybe stop, stop doing that kind of thing. I mean, my favorite Instagram accounts are just people who t- 
take photos of Hyde Park every day. <laughs> and um, it, I don't know if Nikki, if you know anyone like that. They, they, there's, there's, I mean, there's no bad I, motive I need to in check that. My Twitter, this, though, this, just in case. <laughs> if you didn't know, Nikki's actually sponsored by Hyde Park as an <laughs> ambassador, and uh, he's, uh, <laughs> I, I actually love it. I love it. Just kidding. <laughs> Yes, it's so good. What you're saying is so good, and it's uh, it is. I mean, it is it is countercultural, and um, and I loved also what you, what you said about idols. You know, that we see I, when you go to another country, you you can recognise the idols in those countries, but we, but it's much harder to recognise the idols in your own country. Yeah. I think Spurgeon or someone said that our, our hearts are perpetual idol factories. You know, they just never we never kept, stop, and and. It's true, you can go somewhere like India and you see the idols, it's so obvious in some ways, right? But someone from there or maybe from Africa or somewhere will come here and they can't believe some of the things we do as Christians. They're like, I think you have a blind spot here. Why are you watching this stuff on TV? Why are you choosing to watch this, this series? Okay, it's, it's entertaining, but look at all the things you're guaranteed for your eyes to see if you see this. And, and we've stopped applying the filter. And I think that might be true of, I know it's true of me, and I'm, you know, we, we're, we're trying to be a lot more mindful of that stuff. There's a website called commonsensemedia.org, and it will tell you everything you'll see in a kid's film. Like, here's all the words that you'll hear, all the swear words, if there are any. Here's, if there's any violence or anything else you, d you wouldn't want your kids seeing, it'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. So, and we need to apply those filters, because we're, we're so in danger of diluting down the holiness of God. And just, um, I think C.S. Lewis said, you know, I want the real Christ, not something which resembles him. Sometimes we, we can make, you can make a Christ of your own, can't you? Just or ignore all the inconvenient bits, all the bits that's, and, and you, you just, oh, a major on the grace and the, I can do acceptance and I can, but actually, no, we want the whole Christ. We want the real Christ. We want all of Jesus. We want him in all his absolute grace and all his absolute holiness. And that, and that it's time to reclaim a bit of that, I think. So how, how do you do the holy, holy, holy bit? Um, you know, it's so true, the me, me, me culture that we're living in, but how do you, how do you live the holy, holy, holy bit? Well, I guess it's, it's reading the Bible. It's understanding what is the will of God for us. You know, we, we say we want to be, be followers of Jesus Christ. And, and that requires, Jesus said, denying yourself and taking up your cross. So it's not just a label of I'm a, I'm a Christian. It's if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, my life must, must look like that. But then people then say, well, that's legalistic. We're getting religious. It's like, no, we've got to be really passionate about holiness. And, and so Jesus likens himself to like a gardener. He's like, I'm the gardener. You know, I'm the vine. You're the branches. I'm going to prune off every branch in you that doesn't bear fruit. And actually, that is a really good father. That's not just a very skilled God. Now, that's a very good father. And that is the work of holiness. It's opening up your Bible and, and being in the presence of God. And that's one of the reasons I actually had to remove my iPhone from my life, because I actually felt my brain did not work the same way. My ability to concentrate and actually be in the presence of God and hear his voice. I was like, oh dear, checking Twitter in the midst of my quiet time, you know, must cut off thy arm. So actually, I got rid of it. But that's what it is. It's just... Other phones are available, by the way, yeah. if you... <laughs> You're not quite on board with my cleansing, are you? You don't like it, it's fine, whatever. I do, but, but it's, yeah. 
uh, one thing I will say, your battery lasts like five days now. So. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But basically, holiness is being like Jesus. It's letting him prune your life so that actually you reflect Jesus. When someone encounters you, they're like, oh my word, what was that? That was more than kindness. That was more than being lovely. That was more than being nice. That was the presence of God. That was Jesus come down in the flesh through your hands and feet and your behavior. And so I do think there's some things that we need to get out of our lives. And we prayed for this sweet girl to become a Christian and she's staying at our house and then she was watching like the most horrific horror film on her laptop. And so we were like, ooh, you know, they might want to tweak that thing. Like you got it. it's about the input. You want to put the good stuff in for your soul because that's going to come, that's going to flow out of your life. So there's some tweaking, there's some disciplining, there's some pruning and then there will be always the bearing of the fruit so that we're like Jesus. Beth, you're, you're a preacher. Yeah, you, it's great to hear you preach. And, uh, and we're so great. I mean, one of the things that you've done is also you've connected us with a lot of people um, who are great preachers. Alex Seeley, who's, coming, who's yes. speaking at Focus. Yeah. Just say a little bit about Alex, because people may not know Alex Seeley, and um, she's one of the people speaking at Focus. And, and it was through you that we met her and discovered this great... Preacher. Yeah, yeah, Alex is wonderful. If you're going to go to Focus, you are going to get majorly blessed. She is from Australia. Her and her husband, Henry, felt God called them to America, and they applied for the green card lottery, and they won. So the odds of that were extraordinary, and they're pastoring a church in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Alex is not only prophetic, she is an extraordinary Bible teacher. She is compassionate. She really does have um, a gifting on her life when she speaks, um, healing, and just as a friend, she's been loyal, patient, humble, generous. So I cannot endorse her enough. And I just think whatever she's doing, get to it because she knows, she knows God and she knows the word and she's a dynamic, powerful preacher. So yeah, yeah, so pleased she's coming. And one of the things, like you guys were involved in the founding of Soul Survivor and uh, the, so the, the work of the Spirit has always been so key in your lives and in your ministries. Just say a little bit more about that. Yeah, um, I mentioned earlier, right at the beginning, my dad dying when I was seven. Well, that was in the month of May. and the month of June, a team came from the US, from the Vineyard Churches. A guy called John Wimber came to England for the first time, came to my church. And my mum took me along to this midweek meeting. And I'd never really seen the power of the Holy Spirit at work before. And I saw people getting very affected by the power of God. I saw someone who I'd known who was in a wheelchair. All all my life, I'd seen him in a wheelchair get up and walk around the church. And it it was just um, like an eye-opener, I guess. And so I love to embrace that, but also think that, you know, we're going to pray in this moment, in a moment, that God would increase the measure of what his Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. So we want to grab that as, as boldly as we can, but at the same time, grab confidently and boldly that the Holy Spirit is living in us. And that you, when you walked in today, the Holy Spirit was living in you. When you walk out today, the, the Holy Spirit's in you. It's not just God for you. It's not just even God with you. It's God in you. It's the most amazing mystery, right? And the most amazing privilege. And so, for me, yeah, it's always the, the, the twin pursuit of moments like these where we're praying for an increase in his activity in our lives in a powerful way, but also every day awaking to the fact I've got the Holy Spirit of God living in me. 
And also the Holy Spirit overrides your natural capabilities. You know, Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So actually when you are operating in your own strengths and weaknesses, you can do some things and you can probably do a lot of things. But with the power of the Holy Spirit working with you, you actually override your natural capabilities. And I remember I came to this church when I was 18 years old. And, um, you know, I told you a little bit about my testimony. One of the kind of the fallouts from that was that I was excruciatingly shy and anxious and timid. Actually, that's probably, um, I would say that's probably my thorn in the flesh would be timidity. And, um, you know, it says in 2 Timothy that God has not given you a spirit of fear. Another one of the translations is timidity, but a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. Do I just like talk myself into that, like self-help myself? No, I depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I came here when I was 18. There was a group of us from Youth for Christ. And you said, does anyone here want to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking tongues? I was like, okay, yes, all of that, thank you. And so I was prayed for. And let me tell you what happened. Okay, I didn't do a leadership course. I didn't read a book. I didn't listen to an audio book. But I was prayed for and I received the power of the Holy Spirit and I could go out from here and I could tell people about Jesus. And the greatest thing was I got over myself. It wasn't about me anymore. It was about God. And he gave me and he gives you the boldness to do the things that we can't do by ourselves. So thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit. Matt and Beth Redmond, thank you so much.